Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Dr. David Garner is with the hosts this week talking about his time in ministry, where he served as a missionary, a pastor, and a seminary professor. Listen in and learn from his ministerial experience. Then keep listening after the conversation to find out how to download a free MP3 from the Alliance. Well, welcome to the Mortification of Spin. Today, we're very honored to have a special guest. Uh, He's actually a good friend of mine and uh, a good colleague. His name's uh, Dave Garner. He's a professor of systematic theology at Westminster Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania. Dave is part of that massive conspiracy launched out of Dallas Theological Seminary to take over Westminster during the 70s and the 80s, of which Dave, uh, Greg Beale, Peter Lilbach, and indeed myself, graduating under a pseudonym, are a, a deep, deeply embedded part thereof. Uh, Dave also studied at Westminster as part of the grand scheme to get him in as, a, as an insider, no less, to subvert the doctoral program. Uh, work better than we ever expected, landing him a, a faculty position. That was, was quite remarkable. Uh, sent him to Bulgaria, where he was, a, so say, a missionary for the PCA, but he was actually working with the Bulgarian secret police in order to develop a few techniques that we've actually found quite helpful at Westminster in dealing with dissent on faculty over the years. And we have him here today to talk to us uh, about a number of issues, but... Probably the, the thing which has, has been closest to Dave's heart ecclesiastically over the last couple of years uh, as a missionary, uh, as a PCA minister, and as a systematic theologian has been the, the insider movement. Dave, some of our listeners may not be familiar uh, with that term. I wonder if uh, you could give us, I know it's a, it's a subtle and it's a complex issue in many ways, but I wonder if you could give us a, a sort of cliff notes, brief introduction what that is before we start to explore it in more detail. Happy to do that. First, I appreciated learning some new things about myself uh, in, in that introduction. That was, uh, that was you must have an inside track uh, on me that, about which I do not know. I've talked to the Bulgarian secret. Have police. you? That's, I don't know what's going that's on. great. Insider movement or insider movements uh, is a missiological movement uh, orientation, a paradigm that has sought to, I guess I would say, to, to minimize religious differences, cultural differences in the name of the gospel. So if I could just summarily put it this way, I think the, the way in which you ought to think about the insider movement question is... When somebody goes to the mission field, should they go there with the view towards having people preserve their social and religious identities, or should they, in their conversion to Christ, change those things? And the insider movement paradigm suggests that Christians ought not go to the mission field and try to make Muslims Christians, for example, but make them Muslim followers of Jesus, or go to an Indian context and make them Hindu followers of Jesus. And this has been something that has grown out of a Western missiological commitment really since, I would say, back since the 1950s, but became a test tube in Bangladesh in the mid-1980s of what we describe as insider movements. 
well, unpack that for just a moment. What what was what what happened in Bangladesh? Well, in the in the mid 1980s, there was a an attempt to go into that dominantly Muslim mm. country and suggest to those who are Muslims there that they didn't need to leave the mosque, that right. they could continue to state the shahada, that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet, that they could continue the practice of the salat. Uh, of the the regular prayer rituals, even continuing to go on the Hajj, mm-hmm. uh, their pilgrimage, and follow Jesus. So you stay in your mosque, you still self-identify as a Muslim, but you follow Jesus. And as the missiological gurus behind this will argue, that there are many religious ways of following Jesus. These are cultural decisions, and religion is not something of which the gospel's concerned. Wow. Yeah. David, you um, you served as the chairman of the study committee for the PCA um, on this issue of insider movements. And it was actually just last year at uh, the General Assembly in Houston where you presented uh, the report from the committee. Uh, the report's very clear um, on on where the study committee believes that uh, the, the PCA should be on this. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a pastor in this denomination. Uh, the four of us here, Amy, Carl, uh, you and I, were a part of two different denominations, Presbyterian denominations that care a lot about missions. And so we have people in our churches that care about missions, that have family members who are missionaries, people invested personally in missions. I, I, we, we do as a church. Um, and so as a result of that, I as a pastor get a lot of questions, interestingly, about what people are hearing about the insider movement or insider movements, people who are concerned about it, some people who know just enough to, to kind of be dangerous on the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say if you could, and again, this is a huge, we could spend hours on this and still be kind of scratching the surface, so we understand that, but what would you say is kind of the core uh, hermeneutical flaw, if you like, that operates within this this group of movements? That's a great question and really does get to the heart of this. I think the way I'd like to begin in answering that, if I might, mm-hmm. is go back to a quote from Warfield back yeah. at the right in, I think it was in 1899, he was speaking to a group of prospective missionaries. And as he spoke to them, he said, you know, the greatest danger that attends a missionary is that he who goes to the field to convert the heathen will actually himself be converted by the heathen. And Warfield had some immediate data that had led him to these concerns. He had missionaries that were coming from Muslim lands declaring with joy that they had found a way to articulate the doctrine of the Trinity in an inoffensive way to Muslims. And, and Warfield said, if you can proclaim the doctrine of the Trinity to a Muslim in an inoffensive way, you are no longer proclaiming the doctrine of the Trinity. And you can understand the motivations. If you're going to a field in which people are not listening to you, well, what do you do? You begin to adjust your message just a little to accommodate that maybe they'll listen to you now. And those little mini steps of accommodation can be very much paradigmatically changing your message to the thing that you actually went to do. You actually get changed rather than changing those to whom you're speaking. So you can understand some of the, the motivational factors here. But I would say more sophisticatedly in contemporary missions, if you look back about the middle of the 20th century, 
at Fuller Seminary, which has really been the primary sending entity in the West for missions, preparing those for missionary service. It was in 1965, actually the year I was born, that they removed the the word inerrancy from their doctrinal Mm -hmm. statement. And with that vacuum opened up, it was filled with what we would describe as the soft sciences. Mm -hmm. And so cultural anthropology, sociology became the authoritative mechanisms for actually determining how to go about doing missions. So how all this has come about is, if you even look at contemporary evangelical mission organizations, it is either dominated by or it is exclusively cultural anthropological and sociological data that is argued to be the necessity for training missionaries rather than biblical and theological matters. And that is actually, that's cross-denominational. It's not merely one group of evangelicals. This is the new missiological paradigm of which the insider movement is one. So I guess to get to your question, what is the hermeneutical challenge here? Well, the hermeneutical challenge is, is the authority the soft sciences? Am I prepared for missions by better understanding myself and my identity and the culture to which I am to serve by using interpretive models that that these soft sciences have given me? Or am I going to believe what Scripture says about mankind being either in Adam or in Christ? I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it, but it really ultimately comes down to a matter of biblical authority. That's really good. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. And, you know, it's interesting because because one of the concerns that those who advocate – some of what we're talking about here is that they would they would advocate it on the grounds in some cases of compassion of saying well if if this muslim uh, converts to christianity and so thereby stops practicing religious markers of of islam and starts practicing the, those markers that that identify him publicly as publicly as a christian then he puts his life at risk mm-hmm. Something of which we, I hope, would all be burdened for yes. and be moved to pray for and have compassion over. But is this not what Jesus warned would happen? And so that part of my concern about what's being advocated under the guise of compassion seems to actually be how can we avoid what Jesus promised is going to happen to us? I think that's absolutely true. A couple just anecdotes on that that I think are really, really relevant. One is a few years ago I was teaching in Bangladesh to about 50 or 60 Muslim converts who are all now ministers of the gospel. Every last one of them had been a Muslim and converted to Christ. And they will tell you that in Bangladesh today, their greater challenge in their ministerial context is not the Muslims, but it is the insiders. Wow. Yeah. Because of the confusion that it has created. There's all sorts of of theological but eminently practical problems with that. Um, But I would also, I would just also note that this this whole. fear factor of which we in the West, I think, are just probably on the threshold of having to face some of these things ourselves, perhaps. But I don't want to minimize in any way the the fear that is associated with publicly professing Christ. But I will tell you this, is the most staunch, um, the staunchest pushback against insider movements is coming by Muslim converts who have said, Jesus declared that we must suffer for his name. 
So don't listen to the Western missiological gurus that will tell you you really don't have to suffer for Jesus. If I'm going to claim Christ, I have to lay my life and my neck on the line, and it is worth it. And these are Muslim converts saying that. It's not some Western uh, professor of systematic theology at Westminster (laughs) Theological Seminary that's saying that. I'm listening to men who are converted Muslims now who believe in Christ and are saying, we must lay our lives on the line. This also makes me wonder, as a layperson, um, what kind of message, and this is something I've kind of I've seen a little bit, what kind of message then does that give to the children of missionaries? And, and what kind of effect have you seen on the children of missionaries? On, on the missionaries themselves or the Muslim converts? The, uh, the children families? of the missionaries themselves. Yeah, well, I don't know that I can speak directly to the experience of the missionaries' children themselves, but I will. I can say more about the effects of this on the children of insider movement advocates, those who right. are, okay. I, I, I can say okay. more about that, about the, the nationals themselves. Mm-hmm. What, what happens when an insider's family's daughter is going to get married? To whom does she marry? Well, most often she marries a Muslim. So there is now even greater confusion about, okay, is she Muslim? Is she Christian? Now she was insider, which was confusing enough, and now she's marrying back into Islam. The likelihood of this going forward without even greater confusion is is just not very high. Um, So it's created a lot of problems that way. But I guess maybe getting back to the missionary question, I think any time we introduce humanly created confusion, it will confuse the next generation. And, I, you know, one of the things that I'm even concerned about in my own context ministerially is the confusion of this, the 20-something generation about the clear proclamation of the gospel, a means of grace ministry. Um, these are things that are lost very often on this younger generation, and we have got to be vigilant to make those things front and center as they are in Scripture themselves. If I can, I mean, that's, it's interesting you raise that, Dave, because it, it reminds me of a, a review of Kevin DeYoung's book, I think it's What is the Mission of the Church? Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg, I think it was Greg Gilbert and Kevin DeYoung yeah. wrote the book, and it was reviewed by Ed Stetzer, I think in Thamelios, but we'll, we'll find the link to the, the review, where to sort of simplify the review to some level, but the, the, the burden of the review was, you know, the Young and Gilbert aren't qualified to write a book on the mission of the church because they're not sociologists. Uh, this was published in a, a reputable evangelical organ of some influence, and it struck me as completely and utterly wrong-headed, mm-hmm. totally unbiblical. Mm-hmm. But it's now striking a resonance with how you describe the insider movement, because what Stetzer seemed to do is is place these sort of soft sciences, or in fact, I think in some places, phony sciences mm-hmm. myself on, on some levels, in place of, of biblical teaching and authority. Do you see an analogy between, is, is the mission field merely a more extreme version of what is actually taking place on our own doorsteps well, relative you know, to the local mission of the church? a great question. Is it more extreme would be my first question. <laughs> um, you know, it's very much it's easier, I guess, to critique those that are outside of you yeah. than rather than seeing your own problems yeah. internally. I think this is, th- these are cousin issues. Yeah. 
Um, if you, I think it was a year and a half ago that Nelson Jennings and I did a, a six-part debate on insider movements uh, on Reformation 21, actually. I remember it, yeah. And, yep. and that was the pushback from Nelson concerning the arguments that I'm making here. I am a Western systematic theologian who does not have a clue about what the rest of the world is like. Right. I have nothing then to yeah. say. Yeah. Of authority yeah. to to these other uh, these other contexts yeah. and cultures, precisely which, which strictures would have applied to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul. Of absolutely yeah. right. Sorry, and, I, no, I, I no, no, couldn't resist a, interrupting. No, you. but <laughs> that, 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 that paradigm is assumed and demanded. And what's ironic to me in all this is, by what authority does he say that I don't have the insight? He yeah. has to claim some sort of authority of his own yeah. to draw those conclusions. <laughs> Either the scriptures are authoritative and clear for all peoples right. at all yeah. times or they are not yeah that's really what this yeah. comes down to i think you found a point where i'm deeply sympathetic with van till actually yeah there you go that's, that's, right. remarkable. <laughs> that's remarkable you heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> david you you mentioned uh obviously you're you're highly invested in seminary you're you're a seminary professor you've also you're also a churchman you've also served as a as, as a missionary and you mentioned the uh some connections with with for instance, the significance of, of Fuller Seminary's place um, in missiology. Um, so I wonder if, if you could just uh, share a few thoughts on the place that seminary has. Because as as we know, as the seminary goes, so goes the clergy, so goes the church, and then so goes missions. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see the seminary being a, a really good servant to help our missionaries remain faithful? Wow, that's a great question. And I, one of the things I appreciate about the question is that in many people's eyes, seminary has become somewhat marginalized in terms of, hey, what, what do you do to become an effective missionary or an effective minister? Just learn the tools, learn the sociological and demographic data, and then go and do your thing. Um, and yet, I would argue that that is extraordinarily myopic, if not theologically bankrupt. Um, and with that in view, I mean, one of the things that if you look at the history, and you've already stated this, you look at the history of the trajectories within the church, trajectories in missions, they are going to be shaped by the fidelity of theological institutions like Westminster, where Carl and I teach. And it is for that reason that I rejoice in our recent history and some of the correctives that have even taken place within our own institution, not just because it's a more comfortable place to teach, but because of my conviction about the the truthfulness of Scripture and its relevance to the next generation of the church. That being said, then, I would argue that insofar as Westminster and other institutions like it are able to maintain theological fidelity and commitment to the authority of the Bible, that is the only thing in terms of a contemporary, uh, the, the contemporary world in which we live that is actually going to be useful in shaping the next generation of the church. So I think it's very, very important. Now, that being said, you know, it, the seminary does not do everything— that are, is necessary to prepare missionaries or ministers of the gospel. We are a cog, a component of that. That really is the church's job, but we are in partnership with the church. It's an important cog, though. It is an important cog. You bet. Yeah. 
What about for women? Like, what percentage of women do you find go to Westminster, mm-hmm. and and what can women expect to benefit from going to seminary? Yeah, I actually don't know the exact statistics. I know in one of our degree programs, it's predominantly women. Um, there are other degree programs in which um, there uh, are. Carl wants to know if that's fetching coffee. That's, that's, yeah, that's right. That's true. Truman-esque, indeed. Um, no, so I, I don't know the exact numbers, but what I would say, we have a number of both men and women at the seminary who are not there because they sense a vocational call to, you know, they're not looking just to be ordained uh, ministers of the gospel. They see this as extremely important for whatever uh, labors in the kingdom that they may have. And that's true both of men and women. So we are committed, obviously, at Westminster to ordination being for men only, and we're preparing men for gospel ministry in that context, but men and women for faithful service in the Church of Jesus Christ. Does every one gain from a greater understanding of Scripture, absolutely, yeah. you will be a, a, a better at everything that you do. Yeah. And so that's why I would encourage, you know, it's not just those who sense a vocational call to ministry that ought to go to seminary. That's good. Dave, I wonder if you could maybe recommend some some reading material for people on, on the insider movement or on the mm-hmm. mission of the church. Uh, two or three good books that, you know, a thoughtful, maybe not a professional theologian, but a thoughtful church person who's wrestling with these issues could read and get a good handle on on what's going on and don't be modest if you feel that the exchanges you've had with people are helpful please please feel free well, to recommend since you're not well. modest i won't be either <laughs> no, Carl. modesty is much overrated <laughs> yeah that's true, right. i think you're proud of your modesty i know <laughs> The uh, yeah well first on the insider movement I there are there's actually quite a few articles that have been posted even on Reformation yep. 21 that I've written and That's a couple others a Phil, Phil DeHart has has written oh, that are Phil. really really quite yeah. good there he's were, a missionary were, too he is a missionary himself and so th- those are very helpful. Um, as it relates to the doctrine of the church, particularly, you know, Kevin's, Kevin's book is, is, is good. Uh, just this week, as you well know, the, the, the classic Bannerman 2 volume. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that's a thousand pages, so yeah. that's not easy reading for, for a lot of folks, but it's a very, very useful tool. Especially as well. the new introduction. I think yeah. it, it makes <laughs> who, it. Who wrote that, Carl? <laughs> I don't know, but frankly, they should have charged twice what they're charging. Uh, absolutely. No, that Bannerman volume is classic. Yeah. And, uh, and you can I use would, it as a resource, too. Absolutely. You don't have to read, you you have to read it, it cover can, to cover. You can use it as a doorstop as well. <laughs> or a doorstop. <laughs> yes, or, yeah, exactly. And then and maybe one other book that I would mention, Guy Waters' book, uh, uh, what is it Jesus called? Runs the Jesus Church. Runs How, the Jesus Church. Runs, How Jesus Runs the Church. Yeah, that, that's also a useful yeah. book. And I would still, you know, I would still go back to Clowney's classic work yeah, on sure. the church as yeah. well. I just think those those are, I mean, there are many, but those yeah. are some. Uh, what about the pastoral work. epistles? Are they worth reading on this? Where are those? Yeah. I think there's someone in, in the apocryphal. Right, exactly. yeah, 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 right. Next to the Gospel yeah. of Thomas. Yeah. Oh, well, let, let, let me just, and, and by, by way of, um, of, of helping uh, Professor Garner's ego here, let me just uh, underline, please read the, the, the articles that, that Dave wrote for Ref21. We'll link them. Um, his interaction on that series I thought was really helpful because you answer specifically uh, the objections mm-hmm. um, from, from your point of view that I thought was really helpful. Also, you can go... Uh, if, if, if you do a search for, for the PCA study committee uh, report, you can find that, and, and that would be really helpful. 
Todd, if I could well. just throw one more in. Yeah. I, uh, two and a half years ago, maybe, I wrote a, a much more comprehensive hermeneutical critique that would be good. of the insider movement paradigm on Themelios. So okay. there's, there's a... There's an essay there that if some, I mean, it's longer to be sure, but it's it, it really tries to get down to the to the core uh, of this issue, yeah. and so yeah. I would encourage folks to read that. That would be as great. Well. Great. Well, Dave, we're very grateful that you took time off from subverting Westminster as part of Dallas's great plan to take over the universe uh, and spend half an hour with us today. We're almost there, too. We're, I know we're, we're almost, almost there. there. Just, just, yeah, we're, 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 I can almost taste it. Yeah. I can almost taste that dispensationalism now in the classrooms. Uh, we're very grateful that you took time off to be with us today. Very important issue. And as we try to draw out towards the end, this has, it's not something really that's happening over there. It's not something that's happening in Saudi Arabia or Pakistan. Uh, It's something that's going to be happening down the street from us because we're all living in a rapidly changing culture. We're all living in a a multi-culture. And so the kind of questions that one time were the preserve of, of missiologists and missionaries are soon going to be the bread and butter questions of, of your local church. So thanks ever so much, Dave, for your work on for the church as a whole on this issue. And thanks very much for spending time with us today to help introduce us and thanks our listeners for having to some me. of the, the key issues. And thank you, audience, for joining us. And we hope you will come back and be with us next time in the interim. Uh, if you go to our website, mortificationspin.org, we'll provide some useful links this week to the literature and articles to which Dave has alluded during this uh, program. Thanks very much. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen that exists to foster a reformed awakening in today's church. If you want to go more in-depth on today's topic, head over to mortificationofspin.org and download James Boyce's sermon entitled, A Plea for Missions. And don't forget to visit mortificationofspin.org to read blog posts from Carl, Amy, and Todd. So we're, what are we talking about? Swimming pools? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. You just, you just Sandwiches. Be ready for anything. Yeah. By the way, Todd tends to bring everything back to Area 51 and the Knights Templar. Okay. So that will no doubt come up. We've already been there once this morning. Now, I just uh, read on WorldNet Daily. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. David, how does this tie into the search for the grail? Yeah. <laughs> Did Jesus have children? Wasn't that the other one? <laughs> that came up again recently. I saw a new oh, oh, yeah. oh, Somebody's yeah. come up with evidence. Uh-huh. Jesus had children. Uh-huh. Right? We heard this five years ago, five years before that. Though I am persuaded by the latest pictures of the Loch Ness Monster. They, they look kind of compelling. They He's do there, look and, and the Templars are involved in it. Yeah. I thought it was a Sorry, Templar I riding those on pictures. I must confess. <laughs> came out this week from Google Maps. Is that right? Looks, it could be a log or it could be the Loch Ness Monster, and my money's on it being the monster. There's no question about it. Pete and I saw the Loch Ness Monster. We, no, got him, we stopped the side of the lock, he looked out, and he, could, he saw this lot of ripple. He said, That's okay, it. Seen the monster, let's okay, go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Okay, so are, we, are we going anywhere silly or are we just no. going to be sensible? Yeah, let's be sensible. We're not going to be outside the Grand Mosque in Mecca. Breaking new ground here, are we?